Welcome to the Cocky Ride Home for Friday, April 16th, 2021. I'm Jackson Bird. Scientists have created human-monkey hybrid embryos. Yes, you heard that right. Archaeologists have found an entire lost city in Egypt... We have even more pterosaur news this week, and a very delicious false alarm in Krakow, Poland. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. Well, it happened. Scientists created the first human-monkey chimera embryo, a series of embryos grown with both human and monkey cells that lived for at longest 19 days. As I'm sure you can imagine, the experiment has drawn quite a bit of controversy. Quoting Nature, In the work published on April 15th in Cell, the team injected monkey embryos with human stem cells and watched them develop. They observed human and monkey cells divide and grow together in a dish, with at least three embryos surviving to 19 days after fertilization. Researchers hope that some human-animal hybrids, known as chimeras, could provide better models in which to test drugs and be used to grow human organs for transplants. Members of this research team were the first to show in 2019 that they could grow monkey embryos in a dish for up to 20 days after fertilization. In 2017, they reported a series of other hybrids, pig embryos grown with human cells, cow embryos grown with human cells, and rat embryos grown with mouse cells. But the latest work has divided developmental biologists. Some question the need for such experiments using closely related primates. Those animals are not likely to be used as model animals in the way that mice and rodents are. Non-human primates are protected by stricter research ethic rules than are rodents, and they worry that such work is likely to stoke public opposition." The reason for such experimentation lies in unraveling some of the mysteries of human embryonic development and towards the hope of growing human organs in other animals that can be used for human transplants. Quoting NPR, Thousands of people die every year in the United States waiting for an organ transplant, noted in Su Hyun, a bioethicist at Case Western Reserve University and Harvard University. So in recent years, some researchers in the U.S. and beyond have been injecting human stem cells into sheep and pig embryos to see if they might eventually grow human organs in such animals for transplantation. But so far, that approach hasn't worked. So Juan Carlos is Pesua Belmonte, a professor in the Gene Expression Laboratory of the Salk Institute for Biological Sciences and a co-author of The Cell Study, teamed up with scientists in China and elsewhere to try something different. The researchers injected 25 cells known as induced pluripotent stem cells from humans, commonly called IPS cells, into embryos from macaque monkeys, which are much more closely genetically related to humans than are sheep and pigs. After one day, the researchers reported, they were able to detect human cells growing in 132 of the embryos and were able to study the embryos for up to 19 days, end quote. And Belmonte emphasizes, quote, Our goal is not to generate any new organism, any monster. We're not doing anything like that. We're trying to understand how cells from different organisms communicate with one another, end quote. He says they have no plans to implant hybrid embryos into monkeys. Still, Alfonso Martinez-Arias, a developmental biologist at Pampu Fiber University in Barcelona, Spain, says that hybridization experiments on other animals, like livestock, that are not so closely related to humans, don't push the ethical boundaries as much. And he adds, the field of organoids will hopefully be able to do away with animal research altogether at some point. 
In May, the International Society for Stem Cell Research, or ISSCR, is expected to release revised guidelines on stem cell research, including for non-human primates and human chimeras. As the guidelines currently stand, human-animal chimeras cannot mate, and there must be additional oversight when the human cells have the possibility of integrating with the host animal's central nervous system, which makes sense. A concern of many bioethicists is not so much what this particular experiment has done, but rather how further innovations like it could open the door for people who don't stick to internationally agreed-upon ethical guidelines. Quoting NPR, The biggest concern, they said, is that someone could try to take this work further and attempt to make a baby out of an embryo made this way. Specifically, the critics worry that human cells could become part of the developing brain of such an embryo, and of the brain of the resulting animal. Should it be regulated as human because it has a significant proportion of human cells in it, or should it be regulated as just as an animal, or something else, said Kirsten Matthews, a fellow for science and technology at Rice University's Baker Institute. At what point are you taking something and using it for organs when it actually is starting to think and have logic? And another concern is that using human cells in this way could produce animals that have human sperm or eggs. Nobody really wants monkeys walking around with human eggs and human sperm inside them, said Hank Greeley, a Stanford University bioethicist who co-wrote an article in the same issue of the journal that critiques the line of research while noting that this particular study was ethically done. And he continued, I don't think we're on the edge of beyond the planet of the apes. I think rogue scientists are few and far between, but they are not zero, Greeley said. So I do think it's an appropriate time for us to start thinking about, should we ever let these go beyond a petri dish? End quote. And another concern that feels particularly resonant right now is that using organs from non-human animals for transplants could spread their viruses to humans, although there are a number of ways to mitigate against that, like isolating the animals, screening the organs, etc., Belmonte, for his part, is well aware of all the risks, and has been working in this field toward these goals for decades. Quoting Time, he believes his work isn't limited to an academic understanding of early human development, or even to the already sci-fi level possibility of regenerating human tissue for organ transplants. It can, he hopes, finally expose how certain diseases, even those associated with aging, such as cancer and Alzheimer's, get started. By placing specific types of cells into a human primate chimera, scientists can start to understand and use the process of elimination to isolate the precise cells, signals, and pathways that can go awry in disease. So it's not just to the earliest stages of life, but also the later stages of our life that could be studied with these chimeric platforms, he says. That is, as long as our culture and societal norms can catch up to the fast pace of scientific progress. End quote. Well, after all that pterosaur news earlier this week, yet another pterosaur discovery has dropped. This finding was actually published in the journal Peer J at the end of last month, but shout out to Rosty Foster's Today in Tabs newsletter for putting it on my radar and Jake Bueller for writing it up in Gizmodo today. The finding is a whole new species of pterosaur named Cynomacrops bondae. It dates back to 160 million years ago in northern China, like the monkey dactyl with an opposable thumb that I described on Wednesday, and as Bueller describes in Gizmodo, it's quote, "...apparently evolution's answer to the question, what if frog, but also bat, but also dragon?" End quote. 
It is much smaller and distinctly more bat-looking than the large pterosaurs we're more accustomed to seeing, especially the big beaky ones. This one has a flat face, a fuzzy body, and quote, the bearing and physique of a chicken nugget, end quote. Or as many online are pointing out, it looks quite a bit like a flying version of a porg from Star Wars. The species, a close relative of the genus Anurignathus, was discovered from a crushed fossilized skeleton in the Hubei province, and the team used x-ray imaging to get a better sense of the creature. You can see some artistic renderings of the pterosaur at the link in the show notes, but here's more of Bueller's excellent description. Quote, Its little body was kept aloft with a pair of broad, membranous wings, terminating in a thin tail that trailed between a wee pair of feet. The creature sported huge eyes peering out from a rounded, wide-mouthed face. The Neurognathids and many other pterosaur groups appear to have had a pelt of tufted pycnofibers, a type of insulating integument that wasn't hair or feathers, but a totally different and independently evolved type of covering. Such bristles might effectively augment the bird's already impressive gape, helping funnel flying insects into their toothy Pac-Man mouths. With their giant eyes, anurignathids are thought to have been the Jurassic's version of night jars or bats, snatching up insects in low-light conditions. Cynomacrops was basically a fuzzy missile made of eyes and mouth propelled by a hunger for bugs, end quote. And again, the anurignathids are a close relative of the Cynomacrops, but there is limited fossil data on the anurignathids because, again, like I mentioned on Wednesday, pterosaur bones are so delicate that few have survived as fossils. So anything this new genus can tell us may shed more light on the anurignathids and vice versa. Both genera represent turning points in the early evolution of pterosaurs as they began to diversify, and some of them eventually became the huge, flying, beaky creatures we're more familiar with. Archaeologists have found an extraordinarily well-preserved 3,400-year-old lost city in Egypt that one scholar has called the second most important archaeological discovery since the tomb of King Tut, and another referred to it as an Egyptian version of Pompeii. Regardless of where anyone may rank it on the most important archaeological discoveries ever, it is the largest ancient city ever discovered in Egypt. The city was found beneath the sand in modern-day Luxor, a city on the eastern bank of the Nile River, and it dates back to the reign of King Amenhotep III in early 1300s BCE. Quoting CNN, Archaeologists found the city streets flanked by houses with intact walls up to 10 feet high and rooms filled with tools of daily life, left by the ancient residents as if it were yesterday. The team also found a large bakery, complete with ovens and storage pottery, whose size suggests it was used to cater to a very large number of workers and employees. Other discoveries include the skeleton of a person buried with arms stretched out to the side and rope wrapped around the knees. The location and position of this skeleton are rather odd, and more investigations are in progress, according to the statement, which describes it as a remarkable burial." End quote. The discovery was made in September of 2020, so there is a ton that is still being pieced together, but National Geographic says it could hold answers to the mystery of why the pharaoh Akhenaten, Amenhotep III's son, abandoned the capital in Thebes to build his own city. Akhenaten was the husband of Nefertiti and father of the famous boy king Tutankhamun. Quoting National Geographic, 
In Amenhotep III's final years, he is thought to have briefly reigned alongside his son Akhenaten. But a few years after his father's death, Akhenaten, who ruled from around 1353 to 1336 BCE, broke with everything the late ruler stood for. During his 17-year reign, he upended Egyptian culture, abandoning all of the traditional Egyptian pantheon but one, the sun god Aten. He even changed his name from Amenhotep IV to Akhenaten, which means devoted to Aten. The heretic pharaoh didn't stop there. Akhenaten moved his royal seat from Thebes north to a completely new city he called Akhetaten, modern site name Amarna and oversaw an artistic revolution that briefly transformed Egyptian art from stiff and uniform to animated and detailed. But after his death, most traces of the ruler were obliterated. Starting with his son, the boy king Tutankhamun, Akhenaten's capital, his art, his religion, and even his name was dismissed and systematically wiped from history. Only the rediscovery of Amarna in the 18th century revived the legacy of the renegade leader, which has fueled archaeological speculation for hundreds of years. End quote. This discovery, which is of what was once an industrial royal metropolis within Thebes, may hold some clues. The site, which is being called the Lost Golden City of Luxor, includes artifacts that date the city as having been around during that short window of time when Akhenaten ruled alongside his father. Inscriptions on various vessels reveal the years people lived and worked there, and some buildings are marked with Akhenaten's name. Archaeologists even found an epithet of Akhenaten stamped on a ceiling. What's kind of remarkable is that this was sort of an accidental find, quoting Wired, The team started out searching for Tutankhamun's mortuary temple, since temples of the last two pharaohs of the 18th dynasty, Harmheb and Ai, had been found in the same general area. The archaeologists chose an excavation area sandwiched between a temple of Ramses III at Metnet Habu and Amenhotep III's temple at Memnon. Within weeks of beginning the excavation last September, archaeologists were excited to unearth mud-brick formations, zigzagging walls as much as nine feet high, apparently a rare element in ancient Egyptian architecture, end quote. And thus, the lost city was discovered. Quoting again from National Geographic, The city appears to have been reused by Tutankhamun, who ditched Akhenaten during his reign but established a new capital at Memphis. I, who later inherited the throne when he married Tut's widow, seems to have used it too. Four distinct settlement layers at the site show eras of use all the way into the Coptic Byzantine era of the 3rd through 7th centuries AD. Then, it was left to the sands until its recent discovery. But why was it abandoned during the brief reign of Akhenaten? I don't know that we'll get closer to answering that question through this particular city, says Betsy Bryan, a professor of Egyptian art and archaeology at Johns Hopkins University, who was not involved with the dig but did visit the site. What we will get is more and more information about Amenhotep III, Akhenaten, and their families. It's early days, but I think we'll see more and more connections. End quote. Well, this is a very silly story. The Polish city of Krakow has been living in fear of a mysterious animal this week, with some people in the area of the reported sighting not even opening their windows for fear of the animal breaking in. Fortunately, the local animal welfare society has caught the predator, and it turned out to be... a croissant. Yes, the flaky French pastry. Now, to be fair, in the photos posted on Facebook, it does kind of look like some sort of animal, if you squint, stuck in the bushes along a branch in a vertical position as it was. The woman who called in said she thought it might be an iguana, 
Actually, according to the transcript of the emergency call, she at first said it might be a lagoon before remembering the correct word for iguana. Doubting an iguana would be roaming the streets of Poland in the cool springtime, the inspectors nonetheless took the call seriously, thinking it could be someone's pet or some other creature misidentified by the woman. Which, I mean, I suppose it was misidentified, it's just it wasn't so much a sentient beast they could capture with the collars they brought to the scene as it was a sadly discarded pastry. The Animal Welfare Society says despite the mix-up, they'd still prefer people err on the side of caution and call in anything that looks suspicious. I would also add that perhaps people should litter a bit less as well. But, you know, hey, we got a fun story out of it. Well, that's all I got for this week. As always, this show is produced by Ride Home Media and Kaki.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again on Monday. Have a great weekend, everyone.